Today is Friday, October 7th, 2022, and this is Pennsylvania Legacies, the podcast from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. My name is Josh Rollerson. The Circuit Trails Initiative aims to create 500 miles of trails around Greater Philadelphia by 2025. So far, the groups making up the Circuit Trails Coalition, which includes PEC, have completed close to 400 miles, with many more already planned and funded. The closer the effort gets to 500, the more the coalition's focus shifts to enhancing connectivity within the system, and in particular, closing gaps. But what is a trail gap, really? On its face, it's just a stretch of -of right-of-way measured in feet or miles, the geographical space between existing trail sections. Working from that definition, closing gaps usually means finding the most cost-efficient ways to connect the dots, wherever those may be. But the circuit is about more than just trail miles. It's about connecting people with one another, with the outdoors, and with places to work and play. It's no secret that access to these kinds of connections is far from universal. Different neighborhoods have different needs and different barriers to meeting them. And sometimes the true impact of a given project just can't be measured in dollars per mile. But what if you could define trail gaps in a way that accounts for all those variables, especially when it comes to historically underrepresented, underserved, and vulnerable communities? Well, for more than five years, a circuit trails working group focused on justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion has been wrestling with how to do exactly that. The effort took a big step forward last summer with the publication of a new gap analysis of the circuit trails. It's a comprehensive review of where the biggest opportunities are not just to achieve the longest possible continuous routes, but to make the biggest difference where it's needed most. It's also meant as a tool to help trail advocates and planners quantify social impact and set priorities accordingly. Our guests today are members of the Circuit Trails Jedi Task Force that launched this effort. Eleanor Horn is co-president of the Lawrence Hopewell Trail, one of more than 50 groups represented in the Circuit Trails Coalition. Jenya Naliweko, who goes by Z, is a program coordinator with PEC and just happens to be lead author of that gap analysis we're talking about today. Eleanor, Z, welcome to Pennsylvania Legacies. Glad to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much. But Josh, before we dive into the content of the gap analysis, I want to thank the Pennsylvania Environmental Council for its vision and commitment to justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion principles through the provision of a tool that makes it possible for those of us on the ground to make informed evidence-based action. And thank you, Zenya, for putting this report together. Thanks, Josh, and thanks, Eleanor, for being here to talk with us today. Uh, Looking forward to um, the discussion. Set the stage for this report. What was the reason that the Circuit Trails community saw fit to, you know, take on this project? What was the sort of the impetus? Yeah, so I think, you know, a good piece of background to this tool, there were a few things that it came out of. Um, The first being the uh, inclusionary planning toolkit that was a few years old, and then the community impact mapping that the Bicycle Coalition did, which in a lot of ways was very much a predecessor to this. The Bicycle Coalition of Greater Philadelphia in 2018, I believe, had an intern that developed sort of a a very simple formula to rank all the circuit trail segments based on sort of an equity outcome. Um, And then in 2020, the Pennsylvania Environmental Council worked with the Bicycle Coalition to update that methodology 
um, to make it a little bit more robust. And that's really sort of can be seen as the predecessor to, to this gap analysis. Uh, and then, of course, you know, in the summer of 2020, as many organizations across the, the country were taking a new look at DEIJ principles uh, in the wake of, you know, the social justice movements and civil rights movements, you know, many organizations and companies took that as a, you know, maybe gave gave lip service to it or looked at it in terms of just wanting to to say the right thing or do the right thing in, in that moment. And I think that the, the Circuit Trails Coalition, having been committed to those um, issues for a long time and the Pennsylvania Environmental Council as well, we really wanted to do something coming out of that, that that could be an actionable impact moving forward. And this work, as as you mentioned, goes back to 2018, I suppose, earlier than that. That was the, the inclusionary yes. trail planning toolkit. But uh, yeah, this was a situation where in the summer of 2020, everybody felt a need to say something and anything in some cases. And, and you know, the Circuit Trails Coalition was ready because the work had already been put in a, a lot of it. That was, that was the context in which this emerges. Let's talk about the way you kind of conceptualize the issue and the focus on trail gaps, first of all, the report mentions that oftentimes there's a rush to like get as many miles on the map as possible, like go for the low hanging fruit. And this is a little bit of a different prioritization, I guess. First of all, why has has it been more of a focus in the past to just hit those mileage targets first and why revise that? You know, I, I think that there are a number of reasons why the emphasis was on miles in the, in the ground. We had, in Circuit Trails, had made a commitment to 500 miles by 2025. We are dedicated to that goal. But, you know, about a year and a half ago, we had a study, uh, Equity of Access to Trails, and that study for many of us in Circuit Trails made us stop and to think differently, because we found that a complaint that many people in under-resourced communities, where there's a trail that runs through the community, when we ask them why or why not are the trails being used more by the local residents, one of the answers was doesn't connect to anything. You know, it's sort of an isolated thing. And so while miles in the ground will always be an important goal. We began to focus our attention on those critical gaps. And in a way, it's a focus on the people who now exist to use trails as opposed to possibly new people. It's about connecting people to green spaces and to transportation or transit centers, to open space. It's, it's the same purpose but taking a micro look at specific communities. So when you look at how, you know, to the extent that gaps have been on the agenda in the past, Eleanor, particularly for you as somebody that's been involved in some planning and, you know, and funding discussions and, and all that high level stuff, how do the trail gaps typically get prioritized? I know DCNR has their own method and their own ranking of, of trail gaps. What's the kind of thinking traditionally behind that? And again, how does this analysis kind of turn it on its head? I think, you know, originally it was about connecting more miles so that we meet our uh, miles in the ground goals. But the gap analysis says that miles in the ground is not the only thing that's important. What really is important is connecting people. 
you know, people became the metric. What people need was more the metric than how much horse pavement is, is actually laid. I think in many ways, the gap analysis is a humanizing tool. It reminds us that in the final analysis, whether it's miles or it's gaps, it really is about meeting the needs of people. And are you seeing that sensibility, you know, more broadly outside of the circuit trails community that that people are thinking in different ways about what is the value of a project like this? It's not necessarily just one thing, but it's that sort of holistic, you know, providing connections for people that are already there. Um, is that happening beyond your little corner or is or are you guys pushing the change? I think we're leading this change. And I think that what makes us a leader in this regard is that we're not just talking about closing those gaps. We have a way, an objective way of classifying, of calibrating, of creating priorities. So again, you know, this is a move from talk to action. So Z, tell me about the methodology because it was kind of innovative for this. What did you identify, you know, all of you as the key data points going in? Uh, why did you choose to focus on some things more than others? How did you make those decisions about waiting? And then where does that fit with what the circuit trails is about as an enterprise? Yeah, so, you know, I definitely like to take it back to the community impact mapping that the Bicycle Coalition did. Um, that's sort of where things grew out of. And I can't remember off the top of my head, but I believe that analysis was focused primarily on the IPD scores from DVRPC, the indicators of potential disadvantage, um, which themselves are made up of, I think, six or seven factors that try to create a sense of potential disadvantage uh, within a community. So we grew from there, and, and I definitely have to give a shout out to my coworkers, Amelia Crotty, Helena Kotala, and Patrick Starr. We definitely went back and forth on the criteria included, you know, a, a bunch of times, probably three, four times. And then we, after that, even workshopped the methodology and the, the criteria that went into our analysis with a working group from the um, Circuit Trails Steering Committee. So it changed a lot, uh, but, you know, without going into too much detail, and I would encourage everyone to take a look at the report, um, we ended up on three factors from the IPD scores, race, ethnicity, and income, because we thought those in our view and, and in terms of since we were coupling them with so many other criteria that those spoke to the, to the equity side of things the most in our region. The number of trail miles, the gap connects, population density, connection to employment centers, connection to a park, uh, and you got a bonus or a trail segment got a bonus if that park also included connection to water, because we think getting people even just near water is very important. Access to public transit, personal vehicle access or lack thereof, and length of trail segment. So that was the, the final you know, number of, of criteria that we settled on. And we weighted them differently. We went through, you know, how much should we put on population density? How much should we put on connection to a park? And I think this is something that like Eleanor was just talking about that separates what we've done from the past is we actually weighted, while length of trail segment was important, we actually weighted it lower in relation to the other things because it is important to get more miles in the ground, but really where you build those miles is more important or at least as important in certain situations. So that's sort of how we settled on that. And, and it certainly wasn't just a, 
you know, one and done type of thing, you know, we realize that any sort of statistical analysis of people is going, you know, numbers can't capture the full story. So we also included qualitative gut checks. And once we did run the numbers and come up with that first list, we ran it by our partners and really went by one by one, all 253 segments and asked, does this make sense that it's here on this list? Should it be higher? Should it be lower? You know, what are the factors that we can't take into account through this analysis only? And so then we modified it based on that as well. So it's as much a qualitative look at things as it is a a quantitative uh, look as well. On the quantitative side, could you just elaborate a little bit more about the IPD score? You mentioned it was a DVRPC uh, initiative, but you guys are working from a sort of a modified version. Is that a, a metric that's in widespread use in Philadelphia and other areas, or, or is that also kind of an, an innovation? Yeah, so the DVRPC, the Delaware Valley Regional Planning Commission, they produced the IPD score several years ago now, and it definitely has become sort of a standard across our region, at least. And I'm sure that other MPOs and other areas across the country have similar uh, metrics. And I think, you know, Sean McGillagendry from DVRPC will be the first to admit it. It's sort of a quick and dirty look at quantifying equity. It, you know, I, I don't think it's supposed to say this takes the full picture into account. But yeah, I, I'd say it definitely has become sort of the, the go-to metric to use in our region at least but the reason we broke out race ethnicity and income only from that score is because we really wanted to zero in on communities of color uh, communities that might have been lower income and not just color in terms of non-white we also want to know where the white communities were uh, where the high income communities were so that we could really dig into what types of areas these trails are running through so let's get into the actual analysis then. What did you discover? And we can break it down by qualitative and quantitative or however you want to come at it. But what, what was the, the takeaway? Yeah, so the takeaway was that we have a lot of work to do. Um, I think what's very interesting is that the number one priority trail gap overall was the what we're calling the Southern Connection of the Liberty Bell Trail in Montgomery County, which we, we did not expect. Some of the other segments that ranked highly were we sort of could expect such as um, segments in Camden, New Jersey, some segments in Philadelphia, some segments in in Mercer County, New Jersey, but we really didn't see the Southern Connection coming and because typically for people who aren't familiar with Southeast Pennsylvania, you look at Montgomery County as a, you know, middle to upper income county. Uh, but that isn't to say that there aren't lower income very diverse parts of that county. And oftentimes those areas get overlooked. And so what the Southern Connection does, and I think it's a really good case study for what we tried to do with the gap analysis overall, is that it connects to the Schuylkill River Trail, which is a major regional trail connection. But where that connection happens is in Norristown, which is a working class, uh, highly diverse community. And so it connects from there through some of the you know more working class and more densely populated areas close to the river all the way up to upper Gwinnett in a part of montgomery county that is uh, much more affluent so that really encapsulates what the point of this gap analysis was and what eleanor had just said a few minutes ago of connecting people to place and connecting people to each other eleanor what about you what did you take away from this analysis when you first read it you know, I there were no surprises, but what the study did was to give me 
a way of thinking about uh, trails and talking to people who live in under-resourced communities about the value of potential trail work in their communities. Because sometimes when you go to an under-resourced community and you talk about green projects, especially trails, people begin to worry about gentrification, whether it's green gentrification or just plain being pushed out by higher income white residents. What we could talk about was the value of that trail segment to transit, the value of the trail segment as alternative transportation, giving them access to parks and open spaces and recreation, and also to assure them that while we're talking about building more trails and closing gaps, we were doing so with them in mind, and we had a tool to help us do that. So while there are no surprises, it has just been an incredibly useful tool. I was disappointed in some ways that my own trail, the Lawrence Hopewell Trail, does not have high ratings. And so when I'm being selfish about it, I think, you know, that weakens my competitive standing for funding. But when I step back and I think about what is in the best interest of circuit trails, what is in the best interest of communities that are not my own that I care deeply about, then I'm deeply grateful for having the gap analysis. You were talking about, Eleanor, how there's now sort of a language and a set of tools for engaging with residents in a way that will make sense to them. Is that also happening at the decision-making level? Are you seeing this analysis playing a role in conversations about how projects get funded, uh, the way organizations like PEC and others that are in the coalition are thinking about how we set priorities? I definitely think that it is a useful tool for decision makers. I mean, there are many, many factors that have to play into a decision about where to spend your trail construction dollars. I think having some objective criteria helps to make better decisions, but you know, it also provides the foundation for evaluating the impact of that decision to invest in closing a particular gap. You can use the same criteria that led you to say, yeah, this is a good bet. And then to say, once it's in the ground, did it really fulfill uh, the needs of the people in the community the way that we anticipated that it would? Z, what about the meetings you're in? Are you, are you hearing this report mentioned more and more often? Sure. Yeah. And I think we're also trying to make sure that it remains in the conversation for various efforts. For example, I think it was Monday afternoon, I was in a call for the diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice subgroup of the Circuit Trails Steering Committee, which Eleanor Horn and Daniel Pascal from the East Coast Greenway Alliance uh, lead. And we were talking about, you know, future conversations to have and future potential presentations or webinars uh, or something like that to give to the broader coalition and to other groups. And you know, I made sure to mention that the gap analysis could be uh, something we could talk about there and switching tracks a little bit, something that Eleanor had mentioned that I found really, you know, interesting and, and also to expand on it is that I think we're also beginning to see 
funders switching tracks to including not necessarily the gap analysis in particular, but in the, the recent special round of DCNR that was announced or the DVRPC's regional trails program grant written into the eligibility requirements now are actually things like, does this positively impact a you know disadvantaged community or you know will this help connect people to jobs or you know some of those impacts instead of just saying this is to get trail mileage in the ground it's it's looking at it more from an equity standpoint so i'm glad to see that the gap analysis is part of that effort and you know to talk about the impact of the report uh recently uh circuit trails coalition adopted a three-year strategic plan and one of our goals not only talks about adding miles to the circuit but we have a goal that talks about filling essential gaps and that is a result of the gap analysis and i can't help notice that you published this in what june and uh a month later-ish, we get news that the, what I think is maybe the number two uh, trail gap on your ranking, the Spring Garden Street Greenway, is now funded. I suppose that was probably already in the works, but are you a little tempted to take maybe a little credit for that? <laughs> I don't think, I think the credit all goes to Patrick for fighting for, you know, the last decade or whatever. But to your point though, Josh, I think that now that funders are looking at equity impacts more within their eligibility requirements, the gap analysis can really step in there. And now there is this list that people can turn to. And when they're applying to these, they can say, you know, my segment, um, you know, ranks here um, within my county in terms of equity impacts based on PEC's gap analysis. And, you know, just to touch on something Eleanor had said about the Lawrence Hopo Trail, definitely when we were looking through this, we realized that anytime you set up a ranking, people are going to look at it and say, oh, my segment's really high or my segment's not as high as I thought it was going to be. But the good thing about it is because it is a formula with with many criteria, you can take it from different angles. So, you know, there are some lists that the, the Lawrence Hope Bell Trail or others rank more highly on than others, potentially in terms of connection to uh, green space or connection to, you know, employment. So, you know, we also wanted to make sure this wasn't just one static list that said you're either at the top or you're not. It's also there there are other ways you can tweak the the formula to really highlight what your trail is is going after. So it sounds like it was really designed with the idea of, you know, giving trail organizations some tools to, you know, really customize their pitch for whoever their funders are and whatever their prospects may be locally. Definitely. And and without, you know, if you can go too far in that direction and just make it so that any trail on the list could could rank highly and, you know, that's definitely not the intent of this, but it is the intent to provide some wiggle room in terms of what makes your trail special. Well, and I think to, again, go back to what Eleanor said, there's a way in which it puts the big picture in front of everyone and gives everybody a way to think about it as a collective enterprise to some degree. You're not just invested in the success of your local project, but the you know, the whole region. Looking beyond southeastern Pennsylvania and New Jersey, I'm wondering how this project, what you guys have been up to, compares to what's happening in maybe other cities, other parts of the country. Is this a, a movement in the trails world, or did you draw inspiration from what other people are doing elsewhere? Well, I guess I don't know if Eleanor has anything to touch on that. Um, I guess the what I would just say is uh, there was actually the um, Capital Trails Coalition in Washington, D.C. put out a report um, that wasn't explicitly focused on the equity 
of trail in terms of development, but it did look pretty closely at the benefits to communities, especially lower income communities, the economic benefits, as well as the social and, and environmental benefits of the Capital Trails Coalition. So that was definitely a big inspiration. And if I had another couple of months to work on this, I definitely might try to, you know, incorporate some economic numbers, because I think that would be, it would be really interesting to see. Um, and that would be even better in terms of funders. But I'd say that was definitely a um, an inspiration. And overall, I think, like when we're talking about DCNR and DVRPC, again, you definitely are seeing equity and thinking about things more holistically take center stage in a way that maybe it hadn't in the past, or if it had, um, it, it was really just in terms of lip, lip service. But Eleanor, I'm not sure if you had seen certain things like this elsewhere. Well, I plan to use it um, in a project that I'm involved with, which involves encouraging the townships in Mercer County to consider an active trail development plan. Hopefully some of those trails will connect to the Lawrence Hopewell Trail. In our case, we have many areas in which there are no trails outside of parks, that kind of thing. And so what I want planners to do is to use the methodology that Z has outlined in the gap analysis to decide what the priorities might be in terms of developing this countywide system of interconnected trails. So in effect, it's like avoiding gaps in under-resourced communities while you're thinking about a new trail system. I think that it is as important a tool as the inclusionary trail planning toolkit. So I'm hoping that it will become a foundational trail planning tool, not just a tool that we use when we're trying to retrofit trail decisions that have been made in the past. Bringing it back to the broader conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion, which again, the Circuit Trails Coalition has been in on, so to speak, before it was cool, much before 2020, you know, as we've seen in the rush to kind of plant a flag and be on the right side of history or, or whatever the motivations are, people have made all kinds of commitments ranging from at worst disingenuous, I'll say that, and at best, maybe something that people are just not able or prepared to follow through on. This is very different. And I'm wondering, like, what do you see the contribution of this approach being to focusing and making those conversations and those commitments to DEI principles more specific, more subject to accountability? How does this potentially change the conversation? You know, I, I think that there are many people who put out statements that they had no intentions to follow when when they did it. I'll, I'll put that aside. It's like the companies that made funding commitments have not paid a dollar of those commitments. But that aside, there are many people who care deeply about DEI principles and they don't know where to start or how to start or how to make the case, especially a non-emotional case that today may have broader appeal. Circuit trails and the gap analysis is one of them, has produced tools that make it easier for well-meaning people to move on their good intentions. It gives them 
impart a language. It gives them a way of setting priorities. It gives them a way of approaching the communities that they would like to impact, hopefully involving those um, communities. So I think it's very important that we give well-meaning people good evidence-based, quantifiable and qualitative tools. And that's what the gap analysis does. This might be actually a good time to go into a little bit more detail about the qualitative side of it. How did you try to fill in those gaps that the numbers wouldn't necessarily tell on their own? I think you have to fill in the gaps from the qualitative side by actively involving the people in the communities that you're trying to impact. I think you absolutely need to listen to the voices of the people. They may see the value um, the advantages and disadvantages of trails very differently from those of us who care about trails almost in a generic sense. They know their communities better, even though something may get a higher score. When you talk to people, you realize that a different segment would have much more impact on the way that people live their lives. So the tool is very, very valuable, but the tool without conversations with people who are likely to be impacted is not as strong as it could be with those conversations. Yeah, I definitely agree with, with that, Eleanor. And going back to when we were producing the methodology and the criteria that went into the formula, you know, there were certain scenarios where for the qualitative review of our quantitative review, we actually worked with Sean McGillagendra from DVRPC, as well as Sonia Shesna and John Boyle, Sonia from the Tri-State Transportation Camp Campaign and John Boyle from Bicycle Coalition of Greater Philadelphia, and walked through with Sean, we walked through each and every Pennsylvania segment over you know 150 and then with uh sonia and john we walked through every single new jersey segment and there were probably dozens of segments on each of those reviews where either sean or sonia and, and john looked at it and said like oh no that doesn't make sense for that to be there because you know this one it's probably getting a low score because it only connects to half a mile of trail you know i think one of them was a, a crossing of a major intersection so when you look at it in terms of that, if you get this created in this community, it's going to now provide a safer crossing uh, for everyone, um, as well as traffic calming for that area. So maybe it should be ranked a little bit higher. So, you know, that's when we would go in and just sort of tweak it and just sort of manually move it up the list. Because from the perspective of someone who's very familiar with that trail or that trail segment, um, it didn't make sense for it to be ranking so low. So that's that's really the benefit of that qualitative analysis. And, you know, when you're coming at it from a 10,000 foot view, you can get the general sense of how things work. But, you know, even still, you know, after this has been published, even though we tried to do that qualitative look, we're still getting messages from people saying, oh, you know, I think you might want to take a second look at this segment because it might not make sense that that it's ranking down here. And that's exactly what we want this to be. Like, this is not a, a uh, static thing. Trails change, reality on the ground changes. And so we want people to keep coming to us and, and basically telling us we're wrong so that we can keep improving. And then what, what does that look like? Are there going to be subsequent additions taking into account all, all that feedback you get? Yeah, I mean, so we see this as something that we're going to update twice a year for 
several reasons. One being trails get built, which is a good thing, uh, and trails move from one phase to another. So just as simple as updating the segment status, um, trails get realigned. So we want to make sure that what we're showing is the most accurate reflection of the length of a trail segment or exactly where that trail segment goes. And then also we want the methodology to keep changing. You know, we we want this to be an ongoing conversation with the Circuit Trails Coalition to look at it and say, maybe um, the connectivity score should be a little bit lower or it should be a little bit higher. Or maybe we should add in two um, criteria that we really wanted to include, but weren't able to in this first look through was uh, traffic safety and public health impacts, because those are very important, especially in terms of the, the work we do when we talk about trail development. We just couldn't figure out a good way, a, a satisfactory way to include those in the formula uh, the first time around. But, you know, we're certainly open to other suggestions, too, if people have other criteria that, that they think would make this even more well-rounded. Like, this definitely isn't something that is what it is. You know, it's a recipe that that should keep on growing and changing over the years. We're also currently working on an online interactive mapping portal for the gap analysis. The report that we made was great and, you know, I'm very happy with it and glad that that people like it. But that's a big effort. And since this is a tool that we want to be a living tool, something that we update twice a year, it's not going to be possible to make a new report twice a year. So what we're going to do to make sure that the updates are always reflected is include that in this online mapping portal, which will also allow people to more easily go in and pick maps and lists of trails that they can use for their own purposes, whether that be funding applications they're going after or just for their own personal interest. So we're working on that now. We'll actually plan to be rolling out, you know, an initial beta version that we want to be reviewed by the internal Circuit Trails Coalition Steering Committee, you know, internal working group, which you'll definitely be on, Eleanor, and, and we definitely love to share with the uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice subgroup learning community. Once we get that feedback from you all in terms of how does it work, is it easy to use, is it interesting, does it make sense, then we'll we'll begin to finalize that, put that out hopefully sometime in October, and then aim to have a webinar shortly after that to train people on it and introduce people to it. And that's what we're really hoping is going to allow this to, because understandably only so many people want to really dig deeply into an 86-page document, but an interactive online map that you can play around with is something that we think a much broader audience will be interested in using. Will it be free? Yep, it'll be 100% free and it'll be easy to access just through a link online, probably embedded on somewhere on Peck's website. Obviously, this is a very locally focused by its nature, you know, analysis, uh, and that's to its credit, you had to really get into some really specific data points and come up with something that's specific to Philadelphia, greater Philadelphia. Peck's a statewide organization. Pennsylvania is a big state. It looks very different depending on where you are and the conditions are very different. But if there are people in other parts of Pennsylvania listening to this conversation who have some involvement in a local or regional trail project or system, what's the applicability of this approach you've taken for others potentially? How would you maybe modify this this model to use in, say, I don't know, northeastern Pennsylvania. How could this pay broader dividends across the state and across the trails world? Yeah, so I'll just say a few words and, you know, speaking to that broader topic, maybe Eleanor could even speak to how it might be modified in New Jersey or other parts of the circuit region. But 
you know, I would say if we, if you were looking at an area like Northeast Pennsylvania or, or really wherever you are, I think the point you're making is a good one. Like this is locally focused. So really this is just a framework. And if you take it across the state, then you can just sort of plug in or unplug certain aspects within the criteria that match your region more. We really focused heavily on population density in this area because that's sort of like the, the biggest bang for your buck. Um, but also in the most densely populated areas, as we learned during the pandemic, people need a place to get outside and trails really serve that purpose. But in other parts of the state that aren't as densely populated, you might switch that out with a higher score for connection to state parks and forests or something like that. Just this weekend, uh, going to the public lands ride and I'll see you there, Josh, and places like Black Shannon are a great resource for people in those areas. So you might focus more on something like that instead of just population density like we do here in the Southeast. You know, the tool, the gap analysis might have been born in Pennsylvania. It will live and grow in many other places because it is an adaptable framework. And, and in fact, as I look at the gap analysis, Z, you know, the reward for doing great work is that people want you to do more great work. But I think that there might even be a version two of the gap analysis that will take a look at the amenities gap along our trails. Where do we have benches and picnic tables? Because the presence of benches is a factor in whether elderly people, some handicapped people are able to use the trail. They need benches dispersed throughout. Are there bike racks, bike repair stations, adequate or inadequate signage? And are they more or less handicapped accessible? The same methodology would apply for what I call the quality of life on trails measures. I think we have a very adaptable tool. And the advantage is, again, it gives us a common language, a way of setting priorities, and a way of evaluating the impact of what we do along those dimensions. Z, you may have a lifetime career of doing variations of gap analyses. <laughs> it wouldn't be so bad. It's actually interesting you bring that up, though, Eleanor, because PEC is, is currently developing a tool called the, the TOM, the Trails Operations Manager. And what that is, is it's basically a, a crowdsourced look at trails across the state that will allow people, once it's out, to download an app on their phone and be able to actually go through and take photos along the trail of existing amenities like benches or condition of the trail or signage that needs to either be upgraded or you know is in some state of disrepair or many of these trails are long distance and it's tough for the trail managers to keep track of where everything sits but i think definitely adding into that whether it's through the tom or something else the opportunity for oh it'd be really nice to have a bench here you know this is a part of the trail that gets really hot and there's not a lot of shade like we could use a, a shade station here or something along those lines i think um, is, is super important well, I think all of that goes back to what's so cool about this approach is that you've taken the concept of a trail gap, which on its face is miles uh, on the ground, 
and kind of turned it around and looked at it a different way to say that, you know, there are gaps in the experience of trail users and the needs of trail users and accounting for that in all of the planning. So it's a much more holistic way of thinking about it. Uh, if we could take that and broaden it out even further, and I'll put you on the spot again and ask you to talk about ways in which that kind of reconceptualization of the idea of a gap might be applied in other areas, not just necessarily in trails and outdoor recreation and, and transportation, but other work that PEC does and organizations like us on the environment, conservation, where, where all these things come together. Yeah, yeah, I think there are always gaps and a gap doesn't necessarily have to be a good thing or a bad thing. It's just sort of what it is. Um, and I think that's what's really important about this kind of work is just taking an honest look at things and seeing where we are. Sometimes it's where we want to go. Sometimes it's where we need to go. So, you know, I don't necessarily want to speak to other work areas of, of what PEC does that I'm not as knowledgeable about. But I think definitely reframing the conversation and reframing the you know viewpoint of some of these different work areas along those lines of, you know, we're not saying we're doing anything wrong, but just reconceptualizing in terms of how can we, how can we fill some of these gaps, whether it's gaps in a trail, gaps in amenities, gaps in terms of the work that we're doing. And, you know, I think of the circuit trails in many ways as a strong chain with lots and lots of links. And what we're doing through the gap analysis is to identify some of the weaker links or some of the missing links. And every time we strengthen one of those links, in effect, we're strengthening the whole circuit, which, you know, in the end, cannot be stronger than its weakest link. So this has just tremendous value. Well, Eleanor Horn with the Lawrence Hopewell Trail and Circuit Trails Coalition and our own Jenny Nalueko from Pennsylvania Environmental Council, who both put in a, a lot of wonderful work on this and will continue to do so. So thank you for that. And thank you more so for your, your time today telling us about it on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Thanks, Eleanor, for chatting with us. That's Eleanor Horn with the Lawrence Hopewell Trail and PEC's own Genya Naliweko. They're part of the Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Task Force within the Circuit Trails Coalition. Through our involvement in the Circuit Steering Committee, the Pennsylvania Environmental Council has been working for several years on ways to build more just and equitable trail systems, not just in the Philadelphia area, but statewide and beyond. We've talked about some of that work on this show, including PEC's Inclusionary Trail Planning Toolkit, published in 2018. You can find that conversation and the toolkit linked in the episode description for this week's podcast. It's all at PECPA.org, P-E-C-P-A.org, where you can also find out more about PEC's activities in outdoor recreation, trails, and public lands, as well as climate and energy, clean, healthy watersheds, vibrant communities and economies centered on conservation and the outdoors, and much more, including all of our past podcast episodes. Again, it's at PECPA.org. Thanks for joining us for another installment of Pennsylvania Legacies. Hope you can join us for the next one. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening.